And in this series, this, this book, First Peter, that we are studying, Peter, in many respects, is, is helping these men and women who are currently living in a very hostile environment, a, a culture that is hostile to Christianity, a culture that has defined these believers as outcasts in society. Who ha- they, They've labeled these believers with, with labels that, that they are, they're child, they're baby murderers. They le- level these people as idolaters because they don't worship Caesar. They, they level these accusations against these believers. And, th- and that's the hostility that they are facing, not too unsimilar from the hostility that we face for the biblical truths that we stand for that are counterculture in our time. And, and Peter, in essence, is, is helping these men and women shelter in place. And the place that, that he wants them to shelter first and foremost is in the gospel is to be, re- be remembering what God has done for them. In chapter 1, that is all about the gospel. It's all about this is where you shelter in place. When, when all this hostility arises, when you face persecution, when you are, you are standing there and accusations come flying your way, all untrue, but seemingly rational, Peter wants you to shelter in place and look to the gospel, to what we read in chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is the gospel. And then he says, here's here's where you shelter as a result of the gospel. You shelter into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And he goes on to say, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. And though you do not see Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with the joy that is inexpressible. And so you shelter in place in the gospel. In, in the work that, that Christ has done to save you. You shelter in place. But that's not, he doesn't stop there. He, he moves on to, you've sheltered in place in the gospel, but you also shelter in place in the church. And what we studied last time in in chapter 1 as he closes chapter 1, speaking of all that God has done, he closes about having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. 
And so you, you say, okay, this, this love for one another, this, this place where of all places in the world where everything else out there is hostile, is, is willing to persecute you for what you believe, for, for being a follower of Christ, he is saying, here, here, shelter in place in the church where you love one another. So Peter began by telling us all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And he's ended this chapter with who we are to, to be in Christ among one another. So we shelter in place in the gospel when we shelter in place in the church. And then he leads us into chapter 2. And read chapter 2, 1 through 3 with me. Peter writes... So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now that you have been born again, Peter is writing, you are to live differently, particularly with one another. And it begins, as we read in chapter 1, by loving one another. Community life cannot exist apart from our loving one another. There's no community there if we do not love one another. And the evil attitudes that we see here in verse 1 of chapter 2, they're antithetical to God's love and our love for one another. Now, why does Peter begin with a call to put away evil attitudes and actions, in particular regarding our speech? Because all of these, these thick malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, they all, they all connect to how we verbalize what's going on in our hearts and our lives and the way we relate to one another. Why does Peter begin with this? Because these are the things that destroy the very love he just spoke about. In the previous verses that he so emphatically exhorted us as believers to to be loving and in these previous verses that that we we guard that love fellow Christians brothers and sisters we must love one another it's the very thing that proves that we are disciples that we are genuine members of the Christian community of 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 Grace Church and the sins listed here they tear they tear at the very fabric of the church ripping ripping away the the, the threads that that hold us together the threads of love that that hold us together malice and and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander you know prior prior to being born again loving one another was not natural to us it was, it was not what we so enjoyed. We naturally loved ourselves above all things. We sought to serve ourselves. We lived for things that made us happy. We lived for things that served our purposes. And we did whatever we could do to please ourselves. And we did what we wanted. 
That's just the, the perfect definition of loving ourselves above all things. But in this new life in Christ, we, we've been given a new nature, a new desire to please Him. And, and above all, we've been given a desire to, to serve others and to think of others as more important than ourselves. And old habits, though, are hard to break. <laughs> and that's why Peter begins here in this list in 2.1. The, the, the evils these Christians have already been delivered from. This way of life, this, this old nature that they have been delivered from. The gospel has changed their hearts. That's why Peter begins with shelter in place in the gospel because you're different now. You're not the same. Shelter in place in the church, in the love of God in the church, the love you have for one another because you are, are different now. And so do not go back. And, and so Peter provides this list. He's reminding them what their conversion means and he's warning them. He's warning them against returning to their old way of life, which he did actually earlier in chapter one. He said, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And so malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander, what destroys relationships, that, that's the passions of our former ignorance. He says, you are now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That means something. That, that's not just some nice doctrinal phrase that, that we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We are clothed. We, we, our righteousness, as, as Isaiah prophesied, our righteousness is as filthy rags. And filthy isn't what when my kids would come in when we lived in Atlanta and they'd come inside and having played in red Georgia clay and their clothes and their bodies would be all red and you'd put them in the bathtub and the water would turn red. Yeah, they were dirty, but they weren't filthy. Filthy would be playing in the sewer. And it's those that filth that has been Remove those garments of filth that have been removed, and we are now clothed in the righteousness of God in Christ. Those, those clothes that we wore as unbelievers. And this, the evils Peter lists here are the very ones that cause that filth. They're the very ones that are in direct opposition to the love of God we read about in 1, 22 and 23. Because now that Jesus has freed us from the power of sin, Peter saying, listen, we can obey his commands. We can obey this imperative love one another. We can obey his word. But, but even though the power of sin has been broken, the, the presence of sin still remains. Old habits are hard to break. And we still have a fight on our hands the fight that goes on internally with us. Peter is well aware of the relational temptations we face. We face relational temptations every time we show up on Sunday morning. Have you ever had a relational problem with yourself? <laughs> Get up in the morning, look in the mirror. I can't believe you said that to me. And your wife is calling a group of people who take you off to another place with a padded room. 
No, no, we don't have relational problems with ourselves. We have relational problems with one another. Peter is well aware of the temptations we face, temptations that can seriously damage the community of God where we shelter in place. These men and women live in a hostile world that is hostile to Christianity that we live in as well, and, and one where, where we must have a shelter in place where hostility does not exist. The one place where the world must look and see that's not hostility. That's love. So now in, in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3, Peter continues the thoughts he began actually in, in chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, because there's this, this like parentheses in verse 22 of chapter 1, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And then he goes down in verse 1 of chapter 2. So, so, or therefore, put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, the like, put it all away. So the main idea, the main idea of today's, of today's passage is this, a careful and caring community, a careful and caring community guards its tongue what it longs for, and the love we are to have for one another. It guards its tongue, it guards what it longs for, and it guards the love we are to have for one another. That is what a careful and caring community does. It guards its tongue. It guards the things it longs for, which we'll read about in a moment. And it guards the love we have for one another, and it allows us to shelter in place. Three, three main points this morning. And I am not a fan of alliteration, but it really worked out well this morning, so I'm going to use it anyway. Uh, the, the condition, the cancer, and the cure. The condition, the cancer, and the cure. Verse, and we're actually, we're going to begin in, in verse 3, the condition. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. There is a condition that governs these three verses. And it begins in, it begins in, in, two, one, in two, three, if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. This is, this is what is called in, in, an indicative in theology. It indicates, it's, in, it's indicative of the gospel. This is an indicative, what God has done for us. And here, Peter, Peter just can't ever wander very far from the gospel. And so in verse three, he says, if indeed you have tasted the, that the Lord is good. Peter, Peter's not questioning here that they have tasted of God's goodness. He's not saying, if, if you have, no, no, no. He's, it, it's, it's more rhetorical. Peter is, is not questioning that because they have tasted of God's goodness. It's the very thing they have tasted of. He is making a statement because indeed you have tasted of God's goodness. He has been so good to you. He has been so good to you. He, he has he has given you great mercy. He has made you born again. He has given you a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has given you an inheritance. He's given you an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfaded. He's keeping it in heaven for you. He's guarding it through your faith for your salvation that is ready to be fulfilled, completed at the day that you stand before Christ. He has been good. And this is what you have tasted. 
because indeed you have tasted God's goodness in Christ, you are no longer the people that we read about in 2-1. And so do not return to what you once were. Now, this is a very unique way to describe our relationship with God. David does it in Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, how do you taste God? (laughs) Well, we just, we, we taste Him in the goodness of God in Christ. Do you remember that taste? What that taste first that, that taste at the beginning. I mean, we all, we all have things that really taste good to us. Think for a moment about your favorite meal. Mine is chicken divan. And there, there have been times when Marilyn has told me in the morning, I'm downstairs, and I'll say, what's, what's for dinner tonight? She'll say, chicken divan. So literally all day, my taste buds are preparing. <laughs> now, you do the same it's something different, but mine are, for, it's just all day. And then I'll go upstairs, it's dinner time, I'll go upstairs, and, and there's fish on the table. <laughs> and Mar- Marilyn says, well, yeah, I, I realized I had this in the freezer, and, and, and I just thought it would be better to do this. And, and my only response is this. <laughs> See those buds? They are defrauded. <laughs> they have been waiting all day for that. And you give me this? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Every time you go to the Lord, you experience His goodness. And you taste and see that the Lord is good. Peter is telling his readers that knowing Christ, that you know Christ, that's how you've tasted of his goodness. You, you know him. Knowing Jesus means you belong to him. You are his, his brother. You have become satisfied in him. You, you experience comfort. It's a comfort meal in a sense. You experience comfort in him. You experience joy in him. You have tasted of his goodness. And our love for Christ and, and our knowing Christ is because we have tasted Him. And it's a taste that we, we must not ever forget. I don't think we can forget, but it's a taste that, that can get a bit dull over time. And so Peter is just saying, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good, oh, yeah, that, that absolutely you have on. And, and this is to be an ongoing reality. Tasting of God's goodness is, is an ongoing and living reality. He is good and He is good all the time. He is, he is good. He is sweet to the taste each and every day because He's always with us. He's always faithful to us. He's always loving because He's with us in Christ. And he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in us that we might always be literally in the presence of God. 
Oh, taste and see. This is why Peter is so adamant that we, we protect his church, not only by loving one another, but by ridding ourselves of the very attitudes that, that cause us to not taste and see and to question at times God's goodness. So when you face a relational difficulty, when you see problems in the church, when you see people not loving one another, when you see malice and slander and hypocrisy and envy and deceit in, in, in the people of God of all places, it tastes like gravel in the mouth. And we're not remembering of what we've tasted and seen of the goodness of God. Peter in 2.1 tells us that these attitudes and actions, they, 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 are, they are the things that, that cause us to not taste and see. And so, so he, he tells us, if you've, if you've tasted that, keep on tasting. Keep on tasting. And in a moment, he's going to tell us how we do that. But first, he, he, wants, he wants us to know, and he tells us in 2.1 that what these attitudes and actions are that, that cause us to not love one another, to cause us to not be relationally connected to one another, that do tear apart the fabric of the church, that, that cause us to not have a good taste in our mouth. And, and he's very specific about these, these type of behaviors, that they're cancerous. And they ravage the church like a disease. So the, th- the first is the condition. The condition. The condition that helps us to shelter in place is to remember, taste and see that the Lord is good. Secondly, the cancer. These are the sins that affect our community. And they are relational sins that are primarily of the tongue. And this is the second time that Peter speaks about leaving our old life behind, as he did in 1.14. He's practical. He's speaking directly to the most practical issues of our lives. The most is that how we speak. What does the writer of Proverbs say? When there are many words... Transgression is unavoidable. (laughs) Having been born again to a living hope, we must not return to the life that we once lived when we were dead in sin. And these are the sins that Peter says, so put away. The NASB says, rid yourselves of these things. We must put off, if we are to be, the community of God that loves one another and proves to be his disciples. John, John 13, 34, and 35. Love one another as I have loved you and so prove to be my disciples that the world might know. Love one another. This is a very specific list of five sins that brings great harm to God's church, to the place where we should be able to shelter in place. Malice, which is simply intent on evil towards others and ill will towards others that seeks to damage or destroy that person. It's morally evil. It is hatred towards others. It is just, it is an attitude of the heart, but that gets expressed in our speech. 
deceit, simply lying and living a lie about who we are and what we think about somebody else. And hypocrisy, which is the very opposite of, of what we read in 122, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. The word sincere, sin, Sarah, without face. In other words, not putting on a false face. The very opposite of hypocrisy. Sincere love. But it is hypocrisy acting as though you are something you are not and speaking in ways that are not true about who you are and the way you relate to people. Envy. The feeling of displeasure when we see someone else prosper. And slander, which is often the result of envy, we disparage somebody else. We assault their character. We change the view that other people have of them. And slander isn't just about telling lies. It can also be revealing the truth that it's not necessary to talk about someone else. It's just a way of taking somebody and whittling them down a few notches. Now, you might read this list and think, I, I would never act this way. This, is, this, this list is, is pretty harsh in its at, the attitudes and actions it speaks about. But we're much more subtle than that, aren't we? We're much more subtle in the way we express our sins. When we're angry or we're offended with someone, we don't often visibly show it. And our, our slander often doesn't sound all that bad. It sounds pretty rational. Our envy doesn't typically come on full display, but we see somebody who has something we don't have or, you know, some comment, somebody who happens to have a better salary than we have. You know, he's always buying new things. I'm not sure he's a content person. That's slander. That's envy. It's jealousy. It's malice. And Peter is saying, listen, we must put away these sins because this is not who we are anymore. In verse in verse 25 of chapter 1, he said, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Peter tells us that the word is the good news preached to us. That word is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. That word is Jesus. He is the gospel, and the gospel has changed us, and now we live for Christ and desire to live like Christ. He is our example. He is the one who never had malice in his heart, only good towards those who were his enemies. He is the one who never lied and had deceit because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who is never hypocritical. There was no guile in Jesus. He was the one who never had envy. He only wished good for us. 
Not what we had, but what he could give us. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. And no word of slander ever passed his lips. Only words of healing and kindness and compassion. And so, brothers and sisters, having tasted of Christ's goodness, Peter is saying we must rid ourselves of these things that dishonor Christ and hurt his church. That tear apart his body. In fact, he, he, P, Peter so, so obviously has a, a love for Psalm 34 that in, in chapter 3 of his, his letter, he says this in verse, verse 10. He says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so he quotes Psalm 34 in chapter 3, the very issues that we're talking about in verse 1. Keep your tongue from evil. And thankfully, Peter says, let me tell you how to do that. Let me help you keep your tongue from evil. He provides an antidote or, or a cure for the disease of sin that once ravaged our lives and that would eventually had would have killed us. That cure, that cure is what we read about in verse 3. If you've tasted, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, you have tasted of Jesus Christ. That's the cure. That's the cure. It's the gospel. It's the person and work of Jesus Christ who has transformed us through the gospel by the power of his spirit. And so the cure, verse 2 of chapter 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Like infants. He's not saying you are newborn infants. He's writing to mature believers. He's writing to, a, to churches in Asia Minor who have been around for at least 30 years. He's writing to mature believers. And it's interesting, mature believers, he's writing, hey, put away malice, put away deceit, put away slander, put away envy, put away hypocrisy. So in other words, mature believers can go there. And mature believers can forget that they have indeed tasted the goodness of the Lord. And so he, he gives them this cure. He says, look, long, like a newborn infant, like an infant that is, is crying for milk and, and who cries at all hours of the day, who has not any idea of what hour of the day it is, who wants to be satisfied, this infant cries. And, and Peter says, that is how you long, long for this pure spiritual milk. And in these three verses, actually the imperative, the exhortation, the command of this passage is this. It's, it's verse two. It's not verse one about ridding yourselves. It's verse, it's this long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. 
of the, of the Lord. Live a life dependent on God. Long for God. Actively seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. This must be the posture of every Christian from the moment we are born again. And this word, verse 25, this word is the good news that was preached to you. And verse 23 of chapter 1, since you have been born again, and not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Long for the pure spiritual Milk. Now, the NASB says long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. But actually, in, in the original Greek, it is long for the pure spiritual milk. The ESV has it, has it correct. What stirs our longing for the pure milk, spiritual milk, and for the milk of God's word? Well, it's history, is it not? It's our history that we have with Christ, the history that Peter repeatedly speaks about of having been born again. We've tasted of God's goodness. We've tasted of God's goodness in Christ. We've tasted of his promises to give us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, pure, unfading, not like the flower and grass that that withers and dies. And this central exhortation tells us long for these things. Not just hope for them, not just think about them, but long for them. The the word here where it is is spiritual is the the Greek word logikos, which which really means logos, the word. And it's, it's, it's not just talking about the word of God. It's talking about the word who became flesh. And Peter's point is, the gospel is, is not a concept. And it's not a, a written information. The gospel is a person. It's Jesus. You are to long for Jesus. You are to long for your relationship with Christ. It's Christ who we long for. We remember when we first tasted the goodness of coming to faith in Christ and what that moment was like and that, that longing and that, that, that learning that we had at that moment, that, that should stir us. That should, that should bring us back again and again to, to the Lord, to, to what we've tasted. A few years ago, Marilyn and I went to the wedding of her nephew and it was on a Sunday night. It was actually New Year's Day on Sunday night and the, the thing I remember most about the wedding, this night wedding in this big barn, were the cupcakes. They were the absolutely best cupcakes I have ever had. And so I could not get my fill of cupcakes. And finally, at the end of, of the evening, we went home. And it was in, this was in Luckett's, Virginia, our per, near Percival. And so we got home. It was about an hour from our house. And we get home, and I realized I left my phone there. And I had to drive back at night in January, cold, rainy night, and I drove all the way back there, and the only thing I thought about were the cupcakes. <laughs> I'm going to get more cupcakes, and I'll get my phone, but I'm going to get more cupcakes. I was, I was longing for these cupcakes. These cupcakes, I'm not sure it was the phone that brought me back or the cupcakes that brought me back, but I knew what I had tasted, and that's the way it is with Christ. Do you remember what you have tasted? 
And does it bring you back? Peter says we're to be like infants who long, who crave this milk. And crave, listen, craving is a concept we, concept we all understand, <laughs> especially when we go on a diet. Try on that diet having one cookie and leaving the box out and walking by that box all day long. If you can do it, I have deep respect for you, but I doubt you can do it. <laughs> we, 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 that craving gets tasted after one cookie. You just taste it, and that's, that's what Peter is talking about here. And, and he's really, we have to ask ourselves, in light of this, what is it that we crave most? How easy is it to say no to the things that we crave? Peter is clear, we must crave Jesus Christ. Now, does that sound overly spiritual to you? Listen, our cravings reveal what we love. What we think about reveals what we love or who we love. These, like I said, these are not new converts here, but mature men and women who are disciples of Christ, who in the face of persecution most likely are probably craving a life that was peaceful and protected. And Peter is saying, uh-uh, your faith, the genuineness of your faith, it's going to be tested. It's going to be tested. But shelter in place in the gospel and shelter in place in the church. Min and I, through almost, we married almost 40 years in February. Well, we've married 40 years in February, and in the 40 years, 37 of those have been in ministry, and there have been some difficult ministry years. And I can remember at a number of moments, as the year would end in December, the end of December, we would look at one another and we would say, well, next year has just got to be better. Until it wasn't. We craved peace and we craved ease and we craved prosperity. And what we kept getting every year was life and the reality of life when we should have been craving just knowing Christ more and tasting of his goodness, and sheltering in place in the gospel, and sheltering in place in God's people, even though at times it was difficult to do that. To know him better when we faced difficulty and persecution. Listen, the the pure spiritual milk that we are to long for is simply Christ. It is Christ. It is Christ. Longing for Christ is practical. Brothers and sisters, it's not mystical. It's practical. It's longing for him to hear him speak to us through his word. It's longing to have him encourage us through his church. It's longing to have him sustain us until that final day when our salvation is complete. As we read in chapter 1 in verse 5, that for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, in verse 9, where it says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We are, we are waiting for that day, and until that day, we, we shelter in place in the gospel, and we shelter in place in the church. 
Oh, my friends, we, we have tasted the goodness of Jesus Christ because he tasted death for us. And because of his death, these sins no longer enslave us. We rid ourselves of them so we can love one another and, and, and we, we look to God. We long to taste once again the goodness of God so that, that what we long for exceeds our desire for sin. And the pleasures that this world does offer us. Listen, when we put off sin and put on Christ, Peter says here that if we long for this pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. The goal is of this longing and putting off these sins and remembering what you have tasted in Christ. The goal is growing up into the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. Having been obtained this outcome by your faith. This is our journey, our calling, to pursue the logikos, the Christ, the Word made flesh. See, every, every day we live, it matters. It, it speaks about God. It speaks about what God has done in us. It speaks about what God is doing through us. It speaks about the goodness of God and the glory of God. And so we are to press on for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And we are pressing on until our salvation is complete. That, that final day, that final day is, is the first day that our longing for Christ is completely fulfilled. And it is eternal on that day. And it's this longing that's going to stifle the cravings that this world tempts us with, the cravings and the desires and the longings that can drive what we do. The taste that this world offers are pleasurable at first, but when we become addicted to them, whether it's pornography, illicit sex, materialism, popularity, food, drugs, etc., it seems so good. Tasting them deceives us into believing they are better than God. They are good. They, are, they have a greater good than God's goodness. And in the end, they devour us. Only God is good. And we live with these and many other competing desires, our, our longing for God and his goodness. That is what must control us. That's, that's, what, that's what we are to long for and shelter in place because we are freed by the gospel to do that. His death and resurrection has set us free from the power of sin and death. We are slaves no more to sin. We are slaves of righteousness, Paul writes in Romans 6. Our greatest good is tasting and knowing and maturing in Christ until our salvation is complete. And this is the path to life. This is our path to life. It is a path that glorifies his name and it is a path that does good to his church. But my friends, willpower alone won't get us there. Willpower will not get us there at all. Willpower is good for maybe two or three weeks. It's not willpower that we need. It's Christ. It's Christ. 
and through the powerful working of His Spirit who dwells in us, it will be accomplished. Because when we are weak, He is strong. In Jude, in Jude, the, the writer of Jude tells us these, these wonderful, wonderful words at the end of his letter. He says, now to Him, to Him, to Christ, to that, that which we long for, to this joy of the gospel, now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. That's what we strive for. And he's, a, he's provided a way for us to do this through the pure spiritual milk, our, our longing. But, but that, where does that longing, how, how does that longing get satisfied? It gets satisfied, brothers and sisters, right here. Right here. This is the application of this passage. Immerse yourself in truth. Immerse yourself in hearing God speak Immerse yourself in hearing God speak to you about your sin. Immerse yourself in hearing God speak to you about the forgiveness of your sin. Immerse yourself in hearing God speak about the grace he has given you. And is never, 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 never will he leave you nor forsake you. Oh, immerse yourself in this and this as you immerse yourself in this. Oh, maybe at times you may not have a longing for it, but it will create a longing in you. His word has changed us and it will continue to change us because his word never returns void. So, so let us, let us close by, let us make a commitment this morning to feast on God's word that we might feast on Jesus Christ. Listen, the cost of the feast that Jesus is offering, the cost of that feast was his body that he gave for us. And we might come to the feast, both now in this life and then in the one to come. Let's make that commitment this morning. Father, thank you for your word that you have given us, that you have, you have sustained us with, that, that you remind us of, of who we are in you and what you have done for us. Thank you for this word. And my, my prayer for, for this church this morning is that your word would once again have a, a, a fresh and new taste to the men and women and children in this room and that they would once again remember what they have tasted and again taste and see that you are good. Oh God, I pray and ask that you would do this for, for your glory, for, for the, the good of your church and the good of your people in Christ's name. Amen.